by what you have done for us. God, we are moved by the power of the gospel. So God, we thank you for that. We pray that your spirit would continue to move in this place today. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Be seated. Well, it's great to be here with God's people on this beautiful Lord's Day and sing praises together and fellowship. And we have the opportunity now as we continue our worship uh, to open God's Word together. So if you'll open your Bibles with me to uh, Philippians chapter 1, uh, we're making our way through a study of Philippians if you're visiting here with us today. And so we'll be in Philippians 1 verses 19 to 26. There's a story I like about a Catholic priest and a Protestant minister and a Jewish rabbi, and they were discussing uh, what they'd like people to say after they die as people kind of file by the open casket there in front of their body. And the priest said, well, I'd like someone to say he was a righteous man, an honest man, he was very generous. Uh, the minister said, well, I'd like someone to say he was very kind and fair and he was very good to his parishioners. And they asked the, the rabbi, they said, well, what would you like for someone to say as they file by in front of your open casket? And he said, I'd like them to say, oh, but we all have to die if the Lord doesn't come back in our lifetime. And in Philippians chapter 1, we have an inspired perspective of life and death through the eyes of the apostles. And I want to read Philippians 1, 19 through 26 for us to, to get the setting for these verses. For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, as be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake." And convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus. So last week, I was looking through some old files I had. I ran across these uh, little statements here. You've probably heard these before. It said, old rock hounds never die, they just petrify. Um, old skiers never die, they just go downhill. Um, old farmers never die, they just get plowed under. Uh, old composers never die, they just decompose. And I like this one, old fishermen never die, they just smell that way. <laughs> but the truth is, no matter how much, uh, how many people want, may want to cheat death, um, we all die. Uh, one man I read this uh, last week said, I intend to live forever. So far, in fact, I pray for that often, the Lord Jesus will come back. But if He doesn't come back in our lifetime, all of us, about it's about life and death and living uh, with dying. You'll notice the very end of verse 20. He mentions by life or by death. Verse 21, to live is Christ on in the flesh, that's living. And verse 23, if I depart to be with Christ, that's dying. So this is a passage about life and death, about living with dying. Now let me paint the scene here for you. If you've been with us in our study, this will be a little review, but if you're, you're visiting with us, this will kind of give you a little bit more information. House arrest, he's in the city of Rome. And uh, Paul is uh, living in rented quarters. Um, he's chained there to a Roman guard, living in his own rented quarters in Rome. And he's been in prison, though, now for about four years. Syria, they're up on the coast, northern coast of Israel. Then he went on that harrowing journey to, uh, to Rome uh, via the ship, and they have the shipwreck and all of that, and finally gets to Rome. And now he's at the end of about a two-year imprisonment uh, in Rome under house arrest there. 
And for much of this time, Paul doesn't know if he's going to live or if he's going to die. He's going to die. He doesn't know that. And so he lives for, for four years in the shadow of the executioner. And he's waiting the final decision from Nero about his fate. So all the clear focus for Paul. If you've ever been around someone who is dying, living with dying has a way of bringing things into perspective. And the Holy Spirit here uses Paul's time in prison and his inner struggle with life and death to teach all of us some very important lessons. Get across this morning that we're going to kind of use to, to unpack this passage is, for you and me, our purpose in living shapes our perspective on dying. Our perspective or our purpose in living shapes our perspective on dying. So those are going to be our two simple points this morning. What's our purpose in living and what's our perspective on dying and how these two fit together? Now we see our purpose in living beginning here in verse 19. Deliverance is the word often translated salvation. Paul says, I know this is going to turn out for my salvation. Now, if you read commentaries on Philippians, commentators, will, a lot of them will say that he's talking about his ultimate final salvation. This is going to turn out for my final salvation. Others will say he's looking in the more near term and saying this will turn out for my salvation or deliverance from prison. I tend to the view that it's looking at the more near uh, problem Paul faces, and that is, this is going to turn out for my deliverance from prison. Now, Paul doesn't know for sure if his deliverance from prison is going to be by life or by death. He may get released, he may be killed, but in either case, he's going to be delivered from prison, right? And he says, my deliverance will happen through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So God's going to use two agencies to ultimately bring about Paul's deliverance, the prayers of God's people and the provision of the Spirit. And I like this because you have the human element, our prayers, and you have the the divine element, uh, the, the provision of the Holy Spirit. One of the things I love about this is Paul, it meant a great deal to Paul that the Philippians were praying for him. Think about Paul. He's the great apostle. I mean, he, he saw the risen Christ there on the road to Damascus. Paul could think, you know, I'm going to make any difference in my life. No, Paul valued the fact that other people were praying for him. Prayers on his behalf from the weakest saints that might be back there in Philippi. To me, that's a beautiful picture of his humility and his dependence of mountains. But he also believed in the provision of the Spirit. I love this, the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And we need to model him in that as well. But notice what he says in verse 20. He says, according to my earnest expectation, Christ shall now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. What he's saying here, I think, is it was Paul's earnest expectation and hope that he was not going to be put to shame in anything, but he would proclaim Christ with boldness. And he's saying, I have expectation and hope that I'm not going to be put to shame. Now, you think about Paul's a, a Jewish man. He's from uh, over in, in uh, Syria or Cilicia and Tarsus, modern-day area of Syria. And uh, he's this Jewish man who believes in it before Nero, before the Caesar. And he's going to give testimony to Jesus Christ. And I love this. He says, I believe when that happens, I'm not going to be put to shame. But I believe with boldness by life. Or by death. If I live life, I like what John Piper says. He says there's two kinds of magnifying, micros bigger than it is, the other makes a big thing begin that makes Jesus look as big as he really is, and that brings people of magnifying Christ. 
And so verse 21 there here piggybacks on verse 20 because the last words of verse 20, live is Christ and to die is gain. Now this, this verse is the whole series in Philippians. I've called this to live is Christ because I believe this is the heart of this letter. Christ is everything in life and that living for him is a intoxicated letter. 93 times and 100, and then all the personal pronouns that refer uh, to the Lord Jesus. Paul was a man who was intoxicated with Christ and believed that for him to live was loose. It was one of the first women to say this to him. She said, a great man is down to one sentence. She said, Abraham Lincoln Roosevelt's was he lifted us out of a great depression and helped us win a world war. He entered to so many things that his life would end up not being one sentence, but she called it a muddled paragraph. A great man or a great woman is one sentence. What would it be? His life down to one sentence. This is it. To me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He's not the periphery. He's the wellspring and the mainspring. Once out of death is to be with Christ. And let me just say, it's very easy to say that. Oh, to me, to live is things competing uh, for our affections. There's an old show. It was an old show called This Is Your Life. And I watched reruns of it when I was placed near the studio. And then they would spring this deal on and they would set up and friends were there and, and pictures and they would take you through that person's life. And, and it would be good to ask ourselves if someone came up to, to you, it came up to me and said, Mark Hitchcock, this is your life. What would it be? For you, would it be business? Would it be money? Would it be your job? Would it be maybe your appearance? Uh, some hobby, uh, maybe sports, maybe fame and popularity, maybe even your family. To live for us is Christ. Now, if, if to live is Christ, we're going to love our family. We're going to care about our family. But to live the Bible, all these other things fall into their places. For the believer, it must be Jesus Christ. All Paul wants out of life is Christ. All he wants out of death is Christ as well. Our purpose in life must be him. Uh, one commentator on Philippians, Gerald Hawthorne, says it like this, Life is summed up in Christ. Life is filled up with, occupied with Christ, in the sense that everything Paul does, trusts, loves, hopes, obeys, preaches, follows, and so on, is inspired by Christ and purpose to existence. Look, every one of us here value life, and we should. It's a gift from God. And we value our health. I mean, that's one of the greatest things in life that we can enjoy is good health. And we should do all we can to enjoy health and to enjoy long life. But if someone were to ask you and you were to say, oh, I want to live a long life, a good question to ask somebody is why? Or because you're afraid to die or something like that. The reason we should want to live a long life is it's a longer period of time to magnify Christ and to make Him our life. That's why we should want to live a long life and to have health, to enjoy. What are you living for in your life? The only worthy passion and pursuit in life is for Christ to be our life. As I've read this passage and been thinking about it the last couple of weeks, I've probably prayed this prayer more than any prayer I've prayed in any passage I've ever studied. I prayed over and over again, Lord, make this real in my life. Make it true in my life where I can honestly say that to me to live is Christ. We ought to be praying that for ourselves. We ought to be uh, that I can imagine. That's the purpose in living. Now, that purpose in living leads to a perspective on dying, and there's a direct relationship between the two. Our purpose in living shapes our perspective on dying. 
There's an old saying that no one is ready to live until they're uh, ready uh, to die. But I think, and I don't think you can honestly say the second part of verse 21, to die is gain, unless you can say the first part. They go together. To me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The prize, the passion, the pursuit of Paul's life uh, was Christ. So for him, death was a glorious prospect. And Paul tells us two, the first thing he says is death for a believer is gain. If you know Jesus Christ, death for you is gain. I had some flowers sent to a competitor who'd recently moved to a new building. And there was a mix-up at the flower shop, and the card sent with the arrangement said, with our deepest sympathy. More embarrassed when he realized the card intended for the bank was attached to a floral arrangement on your new location. <laughs> But I thought about that whenever a believer, congratulations on your new location. Because the worst thing that can happen to us as a believer is actually possibly happen to me is to die. But if we're a believer, the best thing that can happen to us. For a believer, death is gain. I know I've mentioned this before here, but I love this. Life, and he says, we ought to call it before life and life. Because when we die, that's life. That's when life will be lived as God intended for it to be. This is before life now. And someday when we leave this world, if we're a believer, that's when we will enter into true life and gain. Well, I thought about it this week, though, you know, to say, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if a person's an unbeliever, the opposite is true. Think about this. If a person does not know Christ, everything is lost. When I was on that, man, that it's a really good analysis of what's happening in our world today. But in one beginning of one, at the end of it, it just left with an empty feeling when I read this of the tragedy. As one of the world's leading intellectuals and Europe's most important secularist thinker, in a fascinating essay in 2008 titled, An Awareness of What is Missing, he described the day in April 1991 when he attended the memorial service for his friend Max Fritsch in St. Peter's Church in Zurich, Switzerland. Fritsch of that day. He'd left precise instructions for his funeral service. His partner, Karen Pilliod, spoke, reading out a message from the deceased, and two other friends gave reflections. But as specified, there was to be no minister, no blessing, no religious rite, and then listen to this, above an amen. When I read that, I thought, that's the most tragic thing I can ever think of. A, a service, a funeral service. And he says, the men on your life, no blessing. The person died with no fear of God and no rest. Same kind of death, all will die who live for anything except Christ. Because you're behind. If for me to live is popularity, to die is to be forgotten. If for me to live is power, then to die is to lose it all. It's Christ. Death is gain. He was a, a medical doctor before he became a pastor of Westminster Chapel in London. And Lloyd-Jones died of cancer, and he had a friend who was a physician. Lloyd-Jones more comfortable, but Martin Lloyd-Jones wouldn't take it. I mean, he, he wanted to an old hymn, and before he left, he said it grieved him to see Martin Lloyd-Jones, his old fairly near death, had been too weak to speak before, but he mustered all the strength he could, and he whispered out loudly, he said, not sad, not sad. He wanted everybody to know that I'm not sad. I mean, I'm sure he looks sad because he's probably just in such bad physical condition. But he said, I'm not sad. I'm not sad. 
In fact, just before his death, he managed to scribble a note to his beloved wife and his family. And this is what Lloyd-Jones wrote. Do not pray for healing. Do not hold me back from glory. He didn't want to get well. He wanted to go and to be with Christ because death is gain. And I thought about several years ago, several years earlier, had written 2 Corinthians to heaven. Remember that? Paul had actually taken a trip to heaven. So you talk about a guy who had a fortune, aided him there. He saw things there and he said, I, I, I heard things that it's not permitted for a man to speak. But secondly here, he says death is gain. But secondly, he says death is a departure. Notice verse 23. But I am hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ. Now, that word depart there, it was used in ancient Greek for a lot of different things and sailing for home, taking a ship, a ship loose from its moorings and sailing home. In fact, in uh, 2 Timothy 4, 6, these words, the time of my departure has come. Paul saw his death as a departure. Death for Paul was not termination. It was a departure. There's a great old poem that, that describes this by Henry Van Dyke. Some of you may have heard it before. It's, it's called Gone from Sight. And it, it pictures the idea of a person's life like a ship sailing into the distance. Here's what Van Dyke wrote. I'm standing upon the seashore, a ship at my side in strength, and I stand and watch her until at length she's only a ribbon or a white cloud, just where the sea and sky come together to mingle with each other. Then someone at my side says, there, there she's gone. He says, gone where? Gone from my sight, that's all. She's just as large in mast and hull and spar as she was when she left. She's just as able to bear her load of living freight to the place of destination. Her diminished size is in me, not in her. And just up the glad shout, there, here she comes. And he says, that is dying. And you can think about a family gathered around a loved one there. And that loved one passes. And at that very moment, there are people on the other side saying, here she comes. That's the picture here of death, of departure. And Paul says, when we die, we depart and we go to be with Christ. Two false teachings about the afterlife. There are a lot of groups out there that teach what is called soul sleep. But when it talks about us falling asleep, it's talking about the body. The body falls asleep. Someday that body, the soul doesn't fall asleep. The soul immediately goes to heaven if you're a believer. That's what he said. The soul falls asleep and is unconscious for 20 years or 1,000 years or whatever until the Lord comes. Their souls weren't sleeping. They were, they were alive and conscious. You remember what Jesus said to the dying thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say you'll be with me. Or a thousand, the idea of soul sleep. I want to depart and be with Christ. It also refutes the idea of purgatory. Paul doesn't say, I want to depart and go to purgatory, which is very much better. He says, I want to depart Catholicism, that there's a, a halfway house or a state of limbo that a person goes to where venial sins they've committed are purified gradually over a period of time. Now, there's a lot we could say about purgatory, and that's not the purpose of my sermon this morning. But the problem, the main problem with purgatory is, in purgatory, it means we have to pay our own bill. We have to pay our own sin debt. We have to be punished for our sins. That is a denial of the finished work of Christ on the cross. When Jesus died, He said, it is finished. In purgatory, it says we have to fit getting out. We'll never get out. 
We can't pay for our own sins. It's a debt we cannot pay. The only one who can pay our sin debt is Jesus Christ through the shedding of His blood. That's the only way it can be paid. And if He didn't pay the full price, then we're doomed. But if He did pay the full price, then we're free in Him. Romans 1.8 says, There's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. John 5.24, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I shall not come into judgment, but it's passed from death to life. There's no judgment for believers for our sins. When we die as a believer, the soul doesn't sleep, the soul doesn't go to purgatory, we enjoy And Paul wants to go be with Christ. Christ is the attraction for Paul. I like what D.L. Moody said. He said, it's not the jeweled walls or pearly gates that are going to make heaven attractive. It is being with Christ. That's what makes heaven, heaven. Whenever I was uh, younger, and even now still sometimes, when you, when you think about the eternal affinity of God and you think about heaven, sometimes it almost overwhelms me. It, it's too great for us as finite creatures to really take it in. So what I do to be with Christ, and He's there, and that's why I want to go there. I want to be with Him. And it reminds me of a story about a man who was very sick, and he had a doctor. It was back in the days of house calls. A doctor came to his house to see him, and the man's dying. The doctor who's coming in to see him leaves his dog outside the house, and um, the man is dying, and he says, Doctor, I'm afraid to die. He says, Tell me what's on the other side. And I figured you could tell me what's on the other side, and the doctor just felt very humiliated by that, that he didn't really know what to tell the man. And as he was getting ready to leave and put his hand on the door, he heard the sound of his dog whining and scratching at the door on the other side. And he opened the door, and the dog leaped in upon him, you know, licking him and showing him all kinds of, of gladness. And just that moment, it came into the doctor's mind. He turned to the patient and he said, did you notice my dog? He's never been in this room before. He didn't know what was inside. He, he didn't knew, know anything except that his master was here. And when the door opened, he sprang in without fear. I know little of what is on the other side of death, but I know one thing. I know my master is there and that is enough. And that should be enough for us as well. You notice at the end of verse 23, Literally in the Greek, you could translate that it's much more better, or it's much rather better. It's not the comparative in Greek, it's the superlative. We get a better home, a better fellowship, a better body, praise God for that, a better inheritance. Paul is saying, look, to die is gain. It's a departure to be with Christ. 22 to 26, I just want to summarize what's in these verses because there's really one main point here on the horns of a dilemma. Look at verse 22. He says, but if I'm to live on in the flesh, it will mean labor for one to die. And he says in verse 23, I'm hard pressed from both directions. Hard pressed means he was hemmed in or like being closed in like in a vice. Life is to go and to be with Christ. That's what he wants. He says it's gain. He says it's very much better. He longs to go But he says, if the choice was up to Paul, I think he would have gone ahead and departed to be with heaven. But he's willing to stay and to serve the churches there. Think about this for a moment. If you're Nero, what in the world do you do with a man like Paul? Your guards to Christ. We saw that last week. If you release him, he just goes out and continuously say, I can't lose either way. It's a win-win situation for me. If I die, it's gain for me. If I live, it's gain uh, for you. And the same is true for you and for me as well. If we're a believer in Jesus' life, then 
We pray that we can be a blessing to other people and it'll be a gain. Maybe older. You may reach a time in life when you think, you know, I wish God would just take me home. I'd like to go on to heaven. But if God leaves you here, that means that He's got you here to continue to serve. And as we stay here in this life, God may labor. I can, I can always do something. I can pray. I can minister to my family. I can minister to God's people in some way. There's only one thing worthy to be compared with being with Christ. With being with Christ in heaven is living for Christ here on earth right now. That's Paul's message. And when you get to the last two verses, verses 25 and 26, Paul is convinced that he's going to live and that he's going to be released and that he's going to see the Philippians again. Notice he says, convey. Paul's gone through this inner battle and struggle about living with dying. Confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Paul is convinced he will live and be released, and he'll see them again. But aren't you glad Paul had this struggle with life and death and living with dying so that the Holy Spirit can inspire these words uh, to bless our lives? And I would ask each of us this morning to, to take up the challenge to really think about your life and honestly before God and transparently, what is my passion? Live is Christ. I desire to live for Him and to honor Him and to obey Him more than I desire Jesus. Christ can't be your life if you don't even know Him. So I want to give you the opportunity this morning to trust Christ as your Savior and be the passion of your life. And John 1.12 makes it so simple. But as many as received Him, He gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in His name. You get eternal life. You have your sins washed away. You're saved. Yourself. You have to have a Savior. And that Jesus is the Savior you need. I pray that you have Him here this morning. You won't leave here without the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about coming to the end of life. Dying and leaving this life, and all this life was is just loss. It's tragic. This life and everything in this life that we, we're living, when we leave this world, it can all be gained for us. It can be very much better if we have the Lord Jesus. I was thinking about it this week. What if you had a, a group of people like in our church and these services we have, and we, we have a group of people that we can honestly can do through us as we await His coming. May that be so in our lives. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do come now and pray for anyone here who's mourning. May they see their need for Jesus. That the most desperate need in their life is to have Jesus Christ to be their Savior. You know, Christ really isn't my life. There's a lot of other things that have crowded Him out. Father, I pray that You'd move into our hearts and lives and that Jesus would be the center and the circumference of our lives. Our lives would be about Him. Father, we thank you as well from this passage this morning for the hope of heaven that it's gained for us to leave this life. It is very much better. Father, use that to encourage us, I pray, in these times in which we live. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Dismissed.